Ferris B'nai Torah presents The Shmooze, an engaging and motivating Musr and Hashkafa series that deals with real-life issues. Perakei opens up, and it was the third day, Vatilbesh Esther Malchus, and Esther wore Malchus. Now the third day means that she waited for the third day of the fast. The Klaisrael had gathered together to do tshuva. Esther had her own tshuva together with her girls. And in fact, the Targum Sheni explains that she arranged a very particular tula. She davened to Hashem with a very, very bitter cry and a very, very real outpour of emotion. Now what's also interesting to note is that Esther was very, very depressed about this particular event that she was being asked to do. The Pasuk earlier said that Mordechai commanded her, in her tefillah, the Targum Sheni says that she damned to Hashem that not only should my tefillah be accepted, but that I shouldn't lose both worlds. Basically, she being an Asish Ish, according to one shot, she was already a married woman, going willingly to the live with a guy, she was afraid, she wasn't fully confident that it wasn't costing her her olam haba, and she was willing to do this. Now again, we read that pasuk in the end of Perik Dalid, Kesher Avadati Avadati, we read that in the trip, trip of Eicha, we read it as Kesher Avadati Avadati. The reason we do that is because it's referring to her personal loss, but apparently not only was she afraid that she lost her father's home, not only was she now additionally afraid that she was going to be lost to her husband, she was potentially in her mind giving up her Olam Haba, because in her mind she being an Eishazish was going to live with a married man, even though it is correct to do, even though the Dastar is to do it, there are times when the Dastar says to do a, a Nevera, and she assumed in her mind that she was giving up, or potentially giving up Olam Haba, and part of the Tila was that it shouldn't be that way, that she should still have a portion of all to come. The Pasuk says, was the third day, and Esther wore Malchus. The Targum Sheni says she wore an exquisite gown. It was a type of Malbush that had never been seen before. There were jewels and ornate things sewn into it, she wore a very special crown, she wore golden slippers keep in mind that Hashverosh had wealth of unimaginable proportions up until now, Esther did nothing to make herself look attractive to Ahasuerus. Even though they've been married for quite a few years, even though Ahasuerus calls her regularly, she not once did she do something to make herself attractive. However, this time it's Berotson. This time she's trying to make herself look attractive, and apparently she was very, very successful. Keep in mind, the Gemara tells us, one of the four, or maybe one of the five most beautiful women who ever lived was Esther, and apparently she was a ravishing beauty in this situation coming forth. Metamod she stood in the Chatzar, the Beis HaMelech, she stood in the courtyard of the king, Hapanimis, the inside, Nochach Beis HaMelech, opposite the king's house, Vamelech Yoshev Akisei Malchuso, the king is sitting on his throne, the Beis HaMalchus in the in his palace, Nochach Pesach Abayis, opposite the opening to the house. Now if you note, the Pesach is telling us a lot, a lot of logistics, a lot of placements, where she's standing, where he's standing, where the throne is, so the girl explains that actually this is quite unusual. Really what typically happened was you entered in one place, then would turn to face the king who was not facing the door. For some reason, the throne was moved. The actual throne was moved, so that the moment she walked in, immediately Ahishverosh saw her. And this was part of the nace the girl explained to us. In any case, when she comes in, the Gemara tells us that there's a diak in the Pasuk that lets us in on a little secret in terms of what's going on here. The Pasuk says, So it was the third day when Esther wore Malchus. It doesn't say that she wore big day Malchus. It doesn't say that she wore the begadim of the queen. It says she wore Malchus. says the Gemara, this means that she loved Shavuach Kodesh. She was Zochet to Ruch Kodesh. Meaning, this is a very interesting turn of events here. This is a woman who assumes that she's giving up everything. She's giving up her lamhaba, she's doing a sin, she's losing a husband, and actually she reached the height of her career. The Gemara tells us that there were 48 Nevi'im and 7 Nevi'os, even though there were many more, but the main Nevi'im, which were the ones who wrote Nevi'os, were kept for generations, that were 48 Nevi'im and 7 Nevi'os, of them Esther is counted. 
she's counted because at this point in her life she became an Aviya. This is the first time and it looks like the last time that she was actually reached this level of Nuvua. The reason she reached this level of Nuvua is she was broken of spirit. She's reaching in to save the Kleisol and she reached the heights of her career. It's very interesting. In her mind, she thinks she's now throwing away her world. She's reaching the lo- lowest point she can. In reality, she reaches the height. And it's a very interesting understanding that oftentimes people think that their madrega is based on comparing themselves to others or certain madrega-based growth. Apparently, the a person is supposed to follow Das Torah, and Hashem takes care of the person. My job is not to be necessarily the big Rosh Hashiva, or the big whatever it may be. My job is to follow Das Torah. Whatever Das Torah is, is what I'm supposed to do, and rely on Hashem. Don't worry about your Madrega. Hashem will take care of it. Again, here proof be told, she thought she's reaching the lowest point of her life. She's actually reaching the highest. In any case, the Gemara tells us that when she walked in, three Malachi Asharis accompanied her. What she was doing, basically, even though she was going Baratun, she was doing something amazingly foolish. This is the third day of Atinas. She's not eaten for three days straight, 72 hours. She's not eaten, nor has she drank. Now, she may be the most beautiful woman in the world, but when you don't eat or drink for three days, you're famished. You look, your face drops, your complexion changes. You look gauntly, and you don't look good. By all rights, she was committing suicide. By walking in at this point, she should have looked ugly, haggard, worn, and Ahasuerus should have shown, thrown her out. When she walked in, there were three malachim who accompanied her. One literally lifted up her head, meaning she was almost, like she was too weak to actually like fully stand erect. One malach held her head up. The other malach actually put a chut shalchesed upon her, a special favor that anyone who saw her instantly favored her, liked her, enjoyed her. And the third, we'll see in a minute, the third one is actually the one who pushed down the Sharbit Azov, the golden scepter, was actually pushed down by a Malach. The second Pesach says, And it was immediately, says the girl, instantaneously, the minute the king saw her, Omeris Bechatzah standing in the Chatzah, she found favor in his eyes. He found great enjoyment to see her. But Yosheh the Melech Esther says Shabi Zazov, the king put down for Esther his golden scepter, Shabiyoda, that was in his hand. Vatikra of Esther, <coughs> Esther came forward, Vatiga Barosha Sharbit. And Esther touched the head of this golden scepter. Now the Targum explains to us that really, again, when you walked into Achashverosh's courtyard, it was Achas Dasulahamit, the standard procedure was to kill you. Two guards were standing there instantaneously ran forward and were about to kill Esther. And in fact, despite the fact that she found favor in his eyes, he was not going to stop her. It was only because a Malach came and pushed down the Sharbit HaZohov that he stopped his two guards from doing it because she touched the, the Sharbit and once that was done, you couldn't go back on it. But apparently, he was not just a despot, but he was... Uh, a very reactionary type of person, he would have in fact killed his own queen because of the chutzpah to come into the king's throne. The king said to her, Malach Esther Hamalka, what do you want, Esther Hamalka? And what is your request? Until half of my kingdom, and I will give it to you. Now it's obviously very unusual for the queen to come to the king. This was not done. The king called for the queen. If in fact the queen came, something was going on, she wanted something, there was something that she was looking for. So what is your request? The Gemara tells us, The Gemara tells us, Rashi quotes it, that until half of my kingdom, now the standard reading is, what do you want? I'll give you up until half of my kingdom. Rashi brings down the Gemara that says, actually this refers to to the midpoint of my Malchus, or to that which would divide my Malchus, meaning referring to the Beis HaMikdash. We know that Korosh, who Achashverosh came after, allowed, stopped the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. Achashverosh also stopped the rebuilding, wouldn't let it be rebuilt. And apparently at this point, he was suspicious. Why? Because he just sent out, three days ago, this Igeris killing out the Jews. For years now, for five years now, he's been asking Esther this question, from which nation do you come? From which household do you come? What is your people? For five years she's been refusing. Not once during this five-year period does she come to his Beis HaMalchus. All of a sudden, three days after the decree to kill all the Jews, she appears. 
with a slight suspicion that she might be of Jewish descent, he offers anything you want. Esther, you're my queen, I'll give you anything on Chatzia Malchus except for the base of Migdash. That one thing I will not give in on. You have to understand A, how important the base of Migdash was to he being a Gaish king, B, how much on his mind it was. If there's, I'll do anything for my queen, but not give you that. Vatome Esther, so Esther said, "Im al Melach Tov, if it is good in the king, if it is good for the king, Yavo al Melach v'Haman hayom el Mishte asher Sisi lo." Today, Haman and the king should come to the Mishte that I made for him. Now, the pasuk is telling us clearly that Esther asked for Haman and the king to come to a Mishte. She would not make the request now because it was obviously a very great request she was making. She requested that you come to a Mishte, as the girl explains, because then you'll be happy. The problem that everyone has to deal with is why invite Haman. Now the Gemara has many answers as to why in fact Esther wanted Haman to bring, wanted Haman at this party. One answer the Gemara brings down, and the Targum Shani brings it as well, is a very important answer, and that is because Esther was afraid of the following. The Jewish people would say, Achos lano hamalchos. The Jewish people would find out that Esther was Jewish, they would say, we don't have to worry because we have a sister in the palace. We have someone to intercede for us. What she was trying to do was to convince all the Jewish people that she was not on their side. She invited the arch enemy himself, Haman Harasha. She invites to the party together with Achashverosh as a sign to show everyone I'm a turncoat. I'm a traitor. You think I'm Jewish and I'm going to defend you. Quite the opposite. The largest anti-Semite in the region, I'm inviting myself at this party so that all the Jewish people should not say, they should not say, whoa, we have someone to rely on in the, in the palace. Rather, they should know that there's only one hope, that only hope is to rely on Hashem. Now, it's very interesting to note. The Jewish people understood that they were in mortal danger. They saw the Igeris up on the, on the trees. They were already gathered together for a three-day fast. But apparently, the nature of people is to rely on Sibos, to rely on strategies, to rely on, on wisdom, and to rely on normal ways of the world. And even though it was only a remote and slim chance, even if she is Jewish, that she'll actually be successful, that slight glimmer of hope, would have been enough for people to rely on and somehow to cool off their tefillos and their total reliance on Hashem and she was afraid that that would cause the, an improper or not complete tshuva and therefore she did this, she invited Haman apparently she was correct and one of the lessons the Megillah Sarim says we have to learn from the Megillah is the fact that a person has to totally, completely rely on Hashem if we do Ishtalus, we do Ishtalus but understanding completely everything is Me'es Hashem Pasuke says, Vayomer HaMelech the king said, Maru is Haman, quickly bring Haman, Lassos is Esther, to do as Esther requested. Vayavo HaMelech Vahaman al And Haman and the king came to Mishteh, Asha Asasa Esther, that Esther made. Now obviously, this party was already made. It takes a while to prepare the party, it takes a while to get all the dishes, etc. ready. This is already made. She already plotted, assuming that Haman and Ahasuerus would come. And in fact, the Melech and Haman came to the Mishdash also Esther. Now Rashi over here says an interesting line. Why is it called a Mishdash? They invited him to a meal. Why is it called a Mishdash from which you see it to drink? So Rashi says, All the Su'udas are called on wine, which is the Iker. Meaning, in that particular time period in Persia, they were hedonists. Drinking was a big deal. And because they drank, the food was almost only a part of the party as something to hold together the wine so that you don't get too drunk or that you don't pass out. It was only something that allowed you to drink, but the drink was the main thing, which is brought down the halacha is one of the reasons why why do we drink on Purim? Because a big part of the nace was done with yayin, and therefore we drink to, to commemorate that. The next passage says, The king said to Esther in the Mishta Hayayin, what is your request and will be given to you? What is your what do you wish? until half of my kingdom and I'll give it to you. Again, the same caveat, the same I'll give you everything up until except the base of English, meaning you my whole malucha, I'll give you mamish anything you want except the base of English. Vatan Esther Vatomar, Esther answered and said, Shayla see you my request. And what I wish is, 
If I have found favor in the king's eyes, and if it is good to the king, to give over my question, and to do my request, Haman and the king should come to the Mishnah that I'm going to make for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king requested. Now, First of all, if a person wants to learn peopling skills, if a person wants to learn how to speak like a mensch, you pay careful attention to what she was doing. Number one, when she came into the throne room originally, she did not dare request from the king. Why? Because if I request, you may say yes, you may say no. Let me first let you know that I want you to understand I'm going to make a request. I'm not telling you what the request is now. I want you to be in a mood that you're willing to think about the fact that I'm going to make a big deal request. So she invites him to the Mishnah. Now at that Mishnah itself also, she does not request. She doesn't request the item itself. She says, I want to invite you to another Mishnah. Now granted you're here, you're happy with Tov Lev, and I've gotten you to that point, but I'm not requesting it yet. I'm letting you know that I'm going to be requesting something major, that's something very big. When you build a person up, when you let them know that you're actually going to make a major request, it's more likely that you get them in the understanding that they're going to have to do it, they're more prepared, therefore they're more likely. Also note the language that she uses. If I found favor in the king's eyes, and if it's good in the king's eyes, all of these proper people and skills to build up the king for what she wants to request. Finally, she says the one line that the king has been waiting for, and that is, Tomorrow I will do as the king requested. Says Rashi, this refers to the fact that for five years now, Achashverosh has been bothered and troubled by what nation is she from. Keep in mind, kings are very, very conscious of lineage. And even though she was his queen, even though he already fathered a child through her, he was very insecure about the fact that maybe she comes from a lowly nation. And he hounded her for five years. He did everything. He made those he made those masas. He gave off taxes. He gave presents. He did everything to try to seduce her to say what nation she was from. Now she finally says, after five years, tomorrow at the party Essek I will tell you from which nation I am from. The next pasuk continues. It says, "Vayetzi Haman." That day, Haman left happy and tov leiv. Why? Because he's gotten everything he could ever wish for or imagine. He already has tremendous, tremendous covered. Because he got wealthy, because he found the Nebuchadnezzar's prized treasures, he had wealth. Achashverosh made a decree that anyone in the kingdom has to bow down to him. He has a Tabas Amalek, he has a signatory ring of the king. He controls the audience to the king. Everywhere he goes, everyone treats him with covered. Not only that, the queen makes a party. Who does she invite to the party but me and the king? He is Mamis Sameach Vitovlev. He has all of the honor and all of the covet he could ever dream or imagine about. Vichiros Haman is Mordechai Bishar Melech. When Haman sees Mordechai in the Shah Melech, Vlokam Vlozah, Mordechai does not get up and Mordechai does not move. Mimenu does not budge. Everyone else has to bow. Mordechai doesn't bow. Vayamale Haman on Mordechai Chema, and Haman was filled on Mordechai Chema. Anger. He was mamish filled with anger. What's interesting to note is that Targum Sheni says what particularly bothered him. It wasn't the fact that Mordechai was lokam v'lozah. It wasn't the fact that Mordechai was sitting b'shar hamelach. See, the pasuk is very clear that Mordechai is now sitting in the shar hamelach. How did Mordechai get to the Shah Melech? Not long after Esther became queen, Esther tells Achashverosh as follows. You know, of course, that the wisest men in your nation are not being properly used. Who are those wise men? Those wise men are the Jewish Chachamim. Every king, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, despite the fact that they hated Jews, recognized the extraordinary wisdom of the Chachamim and used the Chachamim as advisors. Again, we mentioned Daniel was an advisor to the king. Mordechai was off and on an advisor to the king. He was also a general for the king. But the Chachamim were not in the status that they had been. Upon Esther's request, Mordechai sat in the Shah Melech, in the gate of the king, within the king's Chatzar, with the Sanhedrin Paskening Dine Torah. Now again, she did it under the guise of saying, he'll give advice to the king, in fact that's what they did, but the point being, 
there was Yoshev with the Sanhedrin. The Targum Sheni is very clear that when Haman passed and saw Mordechai HaYehudi, Mordechai the Jew, Yoshev Ba'ame, sitting with his nation, sitting with the Sanhedrin, passing in the Torah, filled him with anger, he mamish couldn't breathe, he couldn't live, he couldn't exist with this understanding. Again, it wasn't just Mordechai, but it was Mordechai the Jew, sitting with the Sanhedrin. The next passage says, Haman. Haman literally had to control himself. He had to hold himself back. Remember, Haman killed Hasach. And that was a very dangerous move. Hasach was an advisor to the king. But once he saw that Daniel was going back and forth between Esther and Mordechai, Mordechai he killed him. Haman desperately wanted to slaughter Mordechai at this moment. He was so filled with anger, but he recognized that upon appointment of the queen... This man is sitting with his advisor, Nishar Melech, he dare not to say anything. Vayavu Abeso, he came to his house. Vayishlach, he sent down messengers. Vayavayas Ovav, Ezeris Ishto, they brought forth his beloved, and Zeris Ishto. That is a cute yeshiva shadiyak, how do you know that Zeris didn't love her husband? Because the Pesach says he brought, he sent messengers to bring Ovav, his beloved, the ones who loved him, Ezeris Ishto, and Zeris his wife. Now, even though that's a joke, the Pesach really is saying something very important. Zeresh and Oavav were two separate groups of people. Haman was a very, very powerful man. He had many, many advisors, many, many people in his camp. He also had 30 sons, says the Gemara. He had a legion of loyal people. And then there was Zeresh Ishto. Zeresh Ishto was not just important in her own right. It wasn't just that she had her own lineage and her own honor. She was an amazingly crafty and wise woman. Before he sat down to Eitzah, not only did he call all of his Oavav, all of his beloved, he also called for Zeres Ishto, because he was having a strategic meeting. Pastor Gidal says, Vesapalem Haman is Kvod Oshro. Haman said over the glory of his wealth, Verov Bonov, all of his sons, again the Gemara says at least 30, remember there were 10 who were hung, additionally to that there were 10 who died in battle and 10 were left over. Veskolash Gidlo Amelach, and all that the king treated him with honor. Veskolash and the fact that the king made him above all other offices and Avdei Amelech. And the passage goes on to say, Vayomer Haman, Haman goes on in this meeting and says, And even the queen herself, she makes a party with the king, who does she bring ki mosi except me? Even tomorrow, I'm called with her to the, to the king. Everything is great. I have wealth, I have honor, I'm above all other People in this Melucha, Pasuk Gimel says, the whole ze eno shovali, and all of this has no value to me. Bechol Asa Shani Roes Mordechaiya Yehudi Yoshei Bishar Hamelach. All of this has no value to me when I see Mordechai the Jew sitting in the Shar Hamelach. I hate him. I hate the Jews. It gives me mamish no hana. Now it's interesting to note that the Gemara says, what does the Chol Ze'eno Shavali mean? The Gemara says that Haman was very, very into his wealth. He used to walk around with a leather sort of amulet. On it was written his values, his various holdings, his various wealth were written on his amulet. It was like he was wearing his bank book around his neck. He walked around with it all the time because I gave him simcha, that gave him happiness, that gave him joy to know that he was so wealthy. The Cholze in Oshovali says the Targum, he pointed to this. Even my wealth, mamish, my money, my guilt, my silver, my gold, even this, Eino Shovali has no value to me. And the Targum says, what does it mean, Eino Shovali? Leslie Timi has no taste in my mouth. I have no joy from it, no simcha, and mamish, I have nothing from it. I am mamish, I enjoy nothing from all of my wealth and my covered when I see this Jew. Now, there are a number of points that are worth understanding from this. Number one, you see, this is a Gans fine anti-Semite. This is not a plain pushed anti-Semite who just wants Jews dead. This is the kind of anti-Semite who mamish has no hanah from, from when he sees another person who is Jewish, who he hates. But I think there's an additional lesson to be learned, and that is understanding the damage that one can do to his lifestyle and happiness with one bad midah. Now let's understand something. This man has the greatest life that any human being could ever imagine. Certainly the life that he wanted, he had. All this man lived for was honor, money, covered, he has it all. I mean, you have to understand, you know, we kid about the honor, but 
you can't imagine what it's like never in your life to have to wait on a line. The man walks into a drying cleaners, there's a long line, there's a law in the Malucha that every human being must bow down full face walks to the front of the line. Now, even though that's a minuscule amount, the covered, wherever he goes, everyone bows down full face to Haman. He's second in command. He has all the glory, all the power, all the might. The holes that ain't a shovely, I have no taste in my mouth from it. Why? Because I'm filled with anger. He was Sameach Vatov Lev. This should have been the happiest day of his life. The queen invites him, and yet Imamish has no Hana. If a person does not control their Midos, they are destined to be miserable in this world. Forget Olam Haba. In this world, they are destined to be miserable. Here's a classic example of just a hatred or a anger that flares up, and Melet is Mamish, nothing left. Cholze'en a Shavali. I Mamish have no taste left from all of this. So Zeresh, his wife, said, and all his beloved, make a tree 50 amas tall, and in the morning say to the king, and hang Mordechai on it, and go to the party with the king happy. The matter was good in the eyes of Haman, and he made a tree. So what is the wise advice that Zeresh, his wife, says to him? Make a tree 50 amas tall. Says the Targum Shani, actually there was a very deep conversation going on there. The conversation with all of the old have gathered and Zeresh goes as follows. Well, why don't we try to burn him, someone suggested. She, Zeresh says, no way. Avram, they tried to burn Barakazdim and their God saved them from fire. Fire won't work. Let's try Cherev. Maybe we'll try to kill this Mordechai. No, that's no good because Yitzchak was saved from the Cherev. Well, let's try to drown him. No, that's no good because uh, God saved Moses, Moshe, and the Kleinstrom from water. Let's throw him in Gororayas. That's no good either because uh, that was, uh, Daniel was saved from that. They understood Jewish history. They understood the power of Hashem. Finally, Zerah says, let's make a tree 50 amas tall. Now, if you think about it, it's ridiculous. What do you mean? If God is powerful enough somehow to save him from fire, from water, from the souls on the 50 amas tree tall, that's going to be the problem. What actually was happening is here was that Zerah understood very, very well forces in nature that Western man does not understand. These people were not just over the Avodah They worship forces in the world that Hashem placed in the world that actually do exist. Their mistake was that they assumed that Hashem was an Avodah Zarah similar to their Avodah Zarahs. Hashem is powerful, similar to the mistake that Paro made. Hashem has powers, but His powers are limited. Therefore, they said as follows. We've seen God be powerful enough over trees. We saw Him powerful over fire. We saw Him powerful over water. We've never seen Him demonstrate power over a tree, a certain koach of 50 amatol building, therefore they assumed with her wise advice that in fact they could prevent the God from saving him saving Mordechai from this again, it was not ludicrous, it wasn't fairy tales they understood Kochaz and what they were really involved in was a much higher level of Arazara than most people understand. They were worshipping different Kochaz They understood the Kochaz And their plan was to use this particular type of murder, because this type of murder apparently they assumed Hashem had no shlita, had no power over. And in fact, the plot was such a clever chap that Haman not only did it find favor in his eyes, he went, Haman, it was very good in his eyes, Vayasa eats. Rashi brings down, what does it mean, Vayasa eats? he made the eats. he did it himself. He himself got out the beam from his house. He took this 50 arma beam and apparently carried himself, because Rashi brings down, it's a Gemara, that Ava Mekakelis the Sashura, I'm sorry, it's the Gon the Gros says, that Ava, that just like love, changes a person's sight and lets them misunderstand things, so to sinner, so to hatred, is Melchakel, so sure he so hated Mordechai, so hated the Jews, that he himself got out the eights, put it in the ground, dug it, obviously it wasn't covered for such a important person as himself to do that, but he wanted to do it himself, because that's how much he hated the Jewish people, and he went to the party Sameach, ready to see the down, final downfall of his enemy, Mordechai. Perik Vav opens up. Now, this is brought, this expression, we know that this is read in the trup of, typically this is read in the trup of the Rosh Hashanah Davening, and the reason for this is, again, we mentioned earlier that the 
the Megillah typically does not have the name of Hashem in it. When we have the Melech HaChashverosh, that applies to HaChashverosh. When it says HaMelech, the Medrash tells us that refers to Hashem. Here, what the Pasuk is telling us is, If it could be the sleep of Hashem was awoken, it refers to the fact that the Klaistral did tshuva. Now, again, we discussed the fact that the, um, the 12,000 Kohanim had the Shofrums, and they had the Seferi Torah, the, all of the Klaistral that were in Shushan gathered around, and apparently the tshuva was very, very powerful. Together with Esther's three days of fasting, together with all the rest of the Klaistral joining in, apparently it was such a powerful powerful tshuva, that as the Targum Shani says, Al-Sasaka Narad Bnei Yisrael, the cry of Bnei Yisrael came up to Hashem, and apparently it woke, if it could be, it woke Hashem up. And the Gzeirah was changed. At this point, the actual Gzeirah against the Klai Yisrael was annulled. Now it's brought, L'Halacha, the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch brings this, that this particular posuk, whether you have a minog to read in the Trump of Rosh Hashanah or not, should be read out loud, because this is the turning event of the Megillah. Now, just very interesting to note in terms of the chronology of the Megillah, the Megillah itself really takes place over a long period of time. Now, we mentioned earlier that really at year three is the initial party. Year seven, Esther is married. Year 12, where we're now we're holding, is when Haman makes the decree. Now, it's interesting to note that really the whole nace begins here and happens in a very, very short time. The decree by Haman, signed by Haman and sent out, is sent out on Yud Gimel Nisan. The next three days, Yudala Tezvav and Tezayin, we said, were the three days of fast. At this third day of fasting, Esther Hamalka walks into the queen. We're now the night of that... I'm sorry, into the king. In other words, meaning what happens is that day, Tess Zion, she walks into the king and says, please come to a feast that I'm going to make later. At, later at that feast, that very same day, she says, come tomorrow to the feast, and tomorrow I'm going to do Kedvar HaMelech. This is that night that Tess Zion. Now the entire action of the real changing, the Nahapahu, happens within a few short hours. It happens between the time Esther comes in she asks for Haman to come the next day. This night, the, the king's uh, sleep is awoken, and within of just a few hours from this point, the entire events change. Now, what's actually interesting is that Rashi says, is it was a miracle, meaning, referring back to the events that happened here, the king's sleep, meaning now referring to Achashverosh, was awoken. What happened was, the Targum tells us, is that he had a nightmare. Now, if you've ever had a really serious nightmare, what happens is it's so vivid, it's so powerful that you wake up in a sweat. Achashverosh woke up dripping wet with sweat, and his heart was racing. He saw somebody trying to kill him. Now, when you wake up after a really bad nightmare, it's not just a dream. Your state of emotions are agitated. You're nervous. You're fearful. He wakes up with this terrible, terrible dream that somebody's trying to kill him, and he awakes with a fear. But the fear remained with him. And he starts thinking to himself, who's trying to kill me? And he starts reviewing the day, and he starts thinking back about things. Who's trying to kill me? Who's trying to kill me? What's going on? Why do they want to kill me? Who's trying? He thinks through the events that just happened, and he says to himself, wait a minute. Esther invited Haman to the party. Why did Esther want Haman to be at that party, and at the next day's party as well? Now, wait a minute, he says to himself. Esther came to me knowing that she's risking her life. If she comes in and I don't put down the Sharbit Azov, she's dead. That means this is such a big deal to her that she's willing to risk her life for it. What is such a big deal that she's willing to risk her life and she invites Haman? What's with Haman and Esther? What's with Haman and Esther? He begins to think about the fact that maybe there's an affair going on. Maybe Esther is having an affair with Haman and wants to kill me. Well, if that's true, why didn't any of my loyal followers, why didn't any of my friends tell me about it? Why I'm advisors to the king, I have people who are spies, why didn't anybody tell me? Maybe, maybe one time someone tried to save me and I didn't pay him back. Maybe I might, one of my good friends I treated wrongly. What's going on? He starts getting very nervous and he immediately calls for the chronicles. The Pasuk says, The king calls for the Sefer HaZichronos, the events, the history book. That should be read in front of the king. What he was doing was, according to Rashi, he was trying to find out, is there somebody who did me a favor, who I didn't pay back, and maybe that person isn't telling me about the plot between the queen and Esther, 
between and Haman because I didn't pay him back this favor. The next passage says, He found written, that it was written about Mordechai, that which Mordechai said about Bixan of Aserish, the two servants of the king, Mishomer Asafu, on that particular Mishmah, that particular guardship, who tried to kill Achashverish. Now the passage very unusually says, It was written, it was written in it. Now the problem is, that what do you mean it was written? So says the Targum Shani, actually, he called for the chronicles. Who was the, the chronicler of the king? It was Shimshi, the son of Haman. Quick, bring me the chronicles. I want to read the history books. So Shimshi brings it, and Akhir says, open up anywhere and start reading. Shimshi opens up, he found written the words that he erased. See, the king commanded him to write over the words of Big Son of Seresh. But Shimshi, immediately after having to write them over, erased them, because he was an arch enemy of the Jews, as much as his father Haman. But he opens up the book, and lo and behold, the words themselves are written. The Gemara says that he erased, and Gavriel, the Malach, came and rewrote them. He couldn't believe his eyes. Right there, he's about to read the story about Mordechai and Bigson. So what does he do? He turns the page. The Gemara tells us that the page turned back. And the Targum Shani is very explicit. He turns the page again, and the page turns back. He turns the page again, and it turns back, and back and forth, and there's a rustling. But nobody's turning the page back, and there's no wind. It was a nace. Hashem was making this happen. At which point, Achashverosh hears noise and says, Stop, read from where you are. At which point, Shimshi has no choice but to read. Well, your majesty, it says here that there were these two people, Big Son and Seresh, who tried to kill the king, and Mordechai the Yehudi, advised, sent the word to Esther, Esther told you in the name of Mordechai that they, they tried to kill him, and in fact the king was saved, at which point the Pasuk says, the king says, what great favor was done to Mordechai, meaning in his mind the plot began to formulate. Haman and Esther are having an affair. My one friend, Mordechai, who saved me once, maybe nothing was done to him. In fact, tell me, Shimshi, what was done for him? For this, the Nari HaMelech, Shimshi didn't say a word. He was quaking in his boots. The Nari HaMelech, the other servants of the king, the Sharsa of his servants said, nothing was done. Now already, the king understood that something's amiss. He had the plot. He knew why, in fact, his great friend, his one friend, Mordechai, who he may have hated as a Jew, but Lamaisa, the man, was loyal why he didn't tell him, because he once saved him, and now the king didn't do anything in return. Vayomer HaMelech, at which point the Melech says, Mi Bachatzer, who's in the Chatzer? Vahaman Ba'al Chatzam Beis HaMelech, Haman came to the courtyard of the king, Achitona, the outside, Lemar LaMelech, to say to the king, Litlos HaSamadachai La'itz, to hang Mordechai in the tree, Asher Hechin Lo, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. Now you have to understand the insanity of Haman's action here. He comes to the king when? Now the Pesach before just told us, the king is asleep. He's sleeping in his bed. Obviously it's late at night. Haman comes in the middle of the night, I don't know if it was 2 a.m. or 12 a.m., he comes in the middle of the night to wake up the king to ask him permission to kill Mordechai. Now let's keep in mind, when Haman passed Mordechai, he desperately wanted to kill him, but Rashi taught us that he resisted. He resisted because he knew that the king appointed Mordechai to sit in the Shah HaMelech. Esther had sent the word that Mordechai is to be an advisor to the king. The king listened and appointed Mordechai to sit with the Rosh Sanhedrin as one of the advisors in the king in the Shah HaMelech. And Haman was afraid to touch this man. Why? Because this is the king's appointee. So if he's afraid to kill him, obviously he's afraid that the king really loves this Mordechai, or at least respects what Mordechai offers. So he's got to convince the king to actually kill him. So when would you assume the best time to convince a king to kill someone is? Maybe you do it at 2 a.m., at 2 in the afternoon when the king is relaxed. You come wake the king up in the middle of the night, mamish insanity. Again, it's part of the nace that he came at this particular point. Achashverosh hears a noise, it says, Mibachatzer, Haman walks in. Now the plot thickens. Vayomru Nari HaMelech, Vayomru Nari HaMelech, love the servants of the king, says to the king, Hine Haman Omed Bachatzer, Haman is standing in the Chatzar, Vayomer HaMelech Yavo. And the king says, Let him come in. Vayavo Haman, Haman in fact comes in, Vayomer HaMelech. The king says to him, Malasos Be'ish HaMelech Chafetz Bekaro. 
what should we do to honor a person that the king wants to honor? Now keep in mind what's actually happening in here is that Achashverosh is not a foolish man. Achashverosh is a very, very wise man. He in fact means that he wants to give honor to Mordechai. That's in fact what he's in, on his mind. But he sends out an open-ended question to Haman. What should we do to honor the man that the king wants to honor? Haman says in his own heart, To who would the king want to do honor more than to me? Now the Gemara tells us one of the rayas that the Megillah was written by Ruch HaKodesh is this Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Haman said in his heart, who knows what's in a man's heart? Only Hashem. Therefore, it was only written by Ruch HaKodesh that the only way that, Haman, that in the end Mordechai and Esther knew what's actually in Haman's heart was through this point. In any case, Vayomer Haman Elamelech, Haman says, Elamelech, Ishesh Pikaro, a man to whom the king wishes to honor, Yaviu Levush Malchus, you should bring the royal garment, Asher Lavosh Melech, that the king himself wore, Vesus Asher Rachav Melech, and the very, the very horse that the king rides upon, Vashanisan Keser Malchus Berosho, and she placed the Keser Malchus, placed the crown on that man's head. Now note very carefully, the next Pasuk says, V'noshson halavush v'asus, place the horse and the lavush al yad ish misarim melech, through one of the men oh, who, who are the servants of the king, haparsimim, who are the servants, v'lbishu esa ish, and you should clothe the man, that the man wishes to treat with honor. Basically, Rashi makes a diak over here, that initially Haman said the words, if you wish to honor the man, give him the horse, give him the cloak, and give him the crown. But then Pasuk Tess says, you should take the cloak and the horse, Haman left out the crown. Why? Because when he said initially, if you want to honor a man, put him on the king's horse, give him the king's robe, and put the crown of the king on his head, he watched Ahasuerus' face drop. Because at that moment, Ahasuerus put it all together. Achashverus read through Haman like a book. In the middle of the night, this Haman comes to me. I ask him, what should we do to honor a man? And he, Haman, thinks I'm talking about him. What's the one thing he asks for? What's his one desire and his one wish? What does he ask for from me? He asks to ride on my horse, wear my royal clothes, and put on my crown. He's out to kill me. And Achashverus' face falls when he understands that Haman is planning to murder him. Haman saw this and immediately got nervous, changed it around and said, take the lavush, take the sus, he left out the crown part, and then he says, let him ride him on the sus in the streets of the city, of call in front of him, so shall be done to the man, that the, the, man, the king wishes to honor. Vayomer HaMelech Lohaman, the king said to Haman, Maher, quickly, take the clothing, and the sus, kasher dibarte, as you mentioned, no crown, do so to Mordechai, the Yehudi who is sitting in the king's court, do not drop off one iota from what you have spoken. Now, personally, this is my favorite part of the Megillah. If you read the Targum Shani, what's actually happening here is Haman, when he hears these words, is literally starting to panic. The Targum Shani says as follows, his knees start to knock, his body starts to shake, and he starts trembling. And actually, what's happening here is a conversation. The king said, take the Levush and the Sus and do so to Mordechai, to which Haman said, Mordechai, your honor, there are many Mordechais in your majesty's kingdom. Mordechai Hayehudi, says the Ahasuerus, your majesty, there are many Jewish men named Mordechai. He's trembling, his lips are moving back and forth, his mind becomes confused. Mordechai Hayehudi Ayoshe Bashar HaMelech. Your majesty, there are many Jews named Mordechai, and there are many Sharim to the Melech. What do you mean? I'm telling you, do this and don't veer off an iota. At which point, the Targum says as follows. Haman realized that he has to do this covered to Mordechai, and he says to the king, Your Majesty, 
I would like to offer the 10,000 talents of silver. Please take that to the king's treasury and do not give him this cover. Now Ahasuerus is beginning to understand. His one friend, Mordechai, this Rotseach Haman, wants anything in the world but to give him honor. You will give that honor to Mordechai. Says Haman, Your Majesty, I have ten sons. Let them be avodim, let them be slaves to you, but do not give him this covet. To which point Ahasuerus says, You, your wife, and all your children will be slaves, but still you're going to give him the covet. Your Majesty says the Targum, Kill me. Kill me, but don't give him this covet. Ahasuerus says, We will kill you, but we're still going to give him the covet. And finally, the Targum Shani says, He's willing to give up his last, most prized possession. He says, Your Majesty, do you remember that Igeris we wrote? Do you remember we wrote that Igeris to kill the Jews? Be mavatalit. I agreed to be mavatalit, but don't give him this covet. His last prized possession, at which point Ahasuerus says, Al tapel You won't drop an iota from what you've said. Now, it's very important to understand that what's happening here, while it may be fun to watch, the embarrassment to the man is a tremendous illustration into human nature. Now, let's understand two simple points. He's giving by order of events all that's important to him. His money, he's willing to part with. He's willing to have his children save, sell, sold as, as slaves. Next. Still doesn't work. His next offer is literally his life. Kill me, but don't give him this covet. Finally, that which is more precious to the man than all of the above, the decree we made to kill the Jews. Now, my friends, that is an anti-Semite. That is a hardcore, real anti-Semite, more precious than his children being avoided, more precious than his life, more precious than anything, is to kill the Jews. But in any case, let's understand what's happening here. Lechorah, he's being very silly. It's clear that he loves his money, loves having his children not be avodim, loves his life, and so he loves to kill Jews. I want to ask you a very simple question, Haman. Aren't you being foolish? Go! There's no question it's going to be painful. You're going to give the guy COVID. I understand that, you know, you've got to ride him through the streets to the Shushan. I understand it's very big, uh, you know, eat COVID for you. You'll do it, you'll live through it, and you'll still have a life of luxury, of tremendous pleasure. You'll have, be able to kill Jews. Why are you so willing to give up everything? The answer is, when you become a Baal Gaiva, when you start loving covered, it becomes so sweet, it becomes so precious, that to give someone else covered, especially my enemy, is so distasteful, is so, ooh, shakes me to the core, he could not stand it, and he was willing to give up his whole life. You see the insanity that bad midos can bring a person to, and again, even though, you know, we're not aspiring in any sense to be like Haman, but seeing the illustration, seeing how, how wicked a person can be, and how far... I mean, a person's midos can bring them, can illustrate to us how much, how careful a person has to be, because one's midos literally can wreck, wreck a person's life. In any case, the Pasuk says, Haman took the clothing and the horse, and he clothed Mordechai. Now, the Pesukim are very, very abbreviated here, and are not telling us much of the story that was going on. The Gemara tells us very clearly, the Gemara Megillah tells us very clearly that actually what happened was that Haman was sent at night, whatever time, 2, 2 a.m., whatever time it was, to go out to Mordechai. The problem is that the events, the parade, was not to be till the next day. The next morning, Haman goes to find Mordechai. Mordechai, in fact, is sitting Bishar HaMelech. He's sitting with his Sanhedrin, learning over Hilchas Kemitza. They were learning Torah, he was giving a shir on Hilchas Kamitza. Kamitza is by the Mincha, how you take the, the fine flour with three fingers and you cup it against your hand. He's sitting with Zanhedrin, and he looks up and he sees the entourage, he sees Haman and his entourage coming, at which point Mordechai understood that there's going to be trouble. He understood that this is the Egeris had been sent out. Haman is coming for him, he says to the Chachamim, listen to me, run for your lives. Immediately the Sanhedrin are leave because they knew there was going to be bloodshed. They all listen to Mordechai, they leave. Mordechai is left there alone. Mordechai stands up and begins a tilo. He completely ignores Haman and he starts davening to Hashem, knowing this may well be the end of his life. When he's done his lengthy tefillah, he sits back down and Haman walks over to him and says, What were you doing there with your fingers? And Mordechai said, sitting down without standing up, Mordechai said, no, we were learning a certain law about the carbon. And Haman said, well, that law about your carbon saved your life because the king has told me that I have to now treat you with honor. I have to bring you through the Rehov HaMelech. I have to put you on the king's horse and put on the royal garment. 
At which point Mordechai looked up and said, uh, sorry, can't be done. Now Haman said, what? Mordechai said, I can't do it. Now understand how crafty Mordechai was. Mordechai now understood that there's a command of the king upon Haman to do the following. Put him on the sus, put, him on, put on him the royal begotten, and march him through the streets. doesn't say anywhere that Mordechai has to make it easy for him. If Haman doesn't do this, you violate the king's command, you're dead. Mordechai did everything in his power to make it difficult. Mordechai said, I'm sorry, I can't really do that. You know, after all, I haven't taken a bath. And it wouldn't be appropriate for me to wear the king's clothes without taking a bath. At which point Haman said, well, go take a bath. And Mordechai said, well, it's very difficult. You know, the bathhouses are far away. At which point Haman said, fine, fine, we'll get you a bathhouse. Haman sends one of his messengers to get a bathhouse. Now, it's not clear at which point, but at some point, apparently, Mordechai sent the word to Esther Hamalka, what's going on, that Haman has to take him to the Rehov Ha'ir. Haman has to put him on the king's horse. At which point, Esther sends out a queen's proclamation to close down all the bathhouses. So Haman goes to take Mordechai to the bathhouse. They're all closed. There's not a bathhouse open. Mordechai said, well, I told you, sir, I tried, but we can't take the bath. Sorry, I'm going to have to, we'll have to try some other day. Haman understands if he doesn't put Mordechai on the sus, he will be dead. So he has no choice but to find the keys to the bathhouse and open the bathhouse. And he says to Mordechai, okay, go take your bath. No, 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 no. It wouldn't be appropriate for one who's going to wear the king's clothing to actually bathe himself. I'm sorry. It really can't be done. Sorry. As I said to you, we'll have to do this some other day. At which point the Gemara is very specific and clear that Mordechai made Homan undress him, begin washing him, and acting like a bath attendant. And Homan lets out a groan, such a krechs, to which Mordechai says, You Russia, for 22 years, you were a barber in Parsaba. You see, Mordechai didn't stop there. Mordechai said, you want, to put, you want to put me in the streets like that? I haven't taken a haircut or a beard cut in a while. You have to do that as well. He made Homan sit there, cut his beard and cut his hand, at which, here, at which point Homan's letting out a crest, letting out cry after cry from the embarrassment. And Mordechai says, you Russia, this is what you did for 22 years. What are you acting now like it's such a bothersome thing? After the whole event, Mordechai is fully ready, wearing the garments of the king, dressed by Homan, and they put him on the sus of the king. Now the Targum Shani is very explicit that this was not just a little parade. You know, typically you read the Megillah, you assume there's one horse and a couple of people around him. There were 75,000 appointees of the king who marched down in front, each one of them holding a golden goblet in one hand and holding some kind of chauffeur in the other hand. And they began calling out, So shall be done to the, king, to the man who the king wishes to honor. There was a main center street in Shushan that was wide, wide thoroughfare. This entire entourage with horses and footmen and 75,000 people in front starts marching out on the king's specific horse, which he rode on the day of his anointment, wearing the specific robe that he wore that day of anointment, sits Mordechai HaYehudi, pulled by Haman, and the Jews of Shushan, as well as everyone else, started to understand what was happening. The thousands and thousands of people of Shushan started gathering and walking along. And whilst these, the Persian Parasamadai soldiers marched forward, the 75,000 Jewish people joined in them. And yet a whole throng, thousands upon thousands of people saying, So shall be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. The Klyasro meant Hashem. The Persian people meant but in any case, everyone was referring to the fact that Mordechai HaYehudi was riding on top of the horse. And it was very clear that there was an ahapahu. There was a change about of what had happened. Haman rode him through the streets of the cities. Lafana was called in front of him. So shall be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. Pasuk Yud Beis says... Mordechai returned to the Shah Melech. Now Mordechai did not know yet that the decree was annulled. Mordechai immediately after getting off the horse, took off the big name Malchus and put back on his sack ve'efer, put back on his sack and ashes. He didn't know, and he returned to the Shah Melech as he was before. Haman comes depressed to his house. Ovel v'chofi rosh. Now, we're all familiar with the Medrash. Ovel v'chofi rosh. Rashi tells us, Ovel albito. He was an oval because of his daughter. On the wide thoroughfare of Shushan, at one point passed in front of the grand house of Haman. Haman's daughter saw this procession. 
she knew that who would be honored, who does the king wish to honor other than her own, very own father? Who would, have, would be the most despicable man who would be asked by the king to draw the horse of Haman other than the hated Jew, Mordechai? She knew full well that Mordechai was pulling the horse. She took, according to the Targum Shani, a pot, which people, remember, there were no bathrooms in those days. At night, you, couldn't, you didn't want to go out to the outhouse. She used a particular pot for that purpose. They had gathered all from her house, all of that from different pots into one large pot. She stood by the high window waiting for Mordechai, the hated Yehudi, pulling the horse, and she drops the entire contents on the head of this person. The person looks up. It turns out to be none other than a father. She sees it's a father that she dropped the excrement upon. She jumps out the window, kills herself. Ovel the Chofi Rosh means he's in Ovel, he's Baavelis over his daughter who committed suicide. Chofi Rosh, he's depressed, he's broken, he comes to his house this way. Now, Pasuk Yigimel says, Vesaper Homan Lazarus Ishto. Homan said over to Zeresh's wife, Olachol Oavav, and to all the people he loved, Asher Kol Karo, all that happened. He told him the entire events, the discussion with the king, what the king said. He told him about the events of the day, what Mordechai did in the bathhouse. His wise people and Zeresh's wife said, now interesting note, originally in the Pasuk they were called Oavav. He, he called together all of the people who loved him, and now they're called Chachamim. Says the Gemara, Mikan, from here you learn that even a guy who says a Dover Chachma is called a Chacham, he's called a wise man. They said to him something of great wisdom. What did they say to him? If this person, Mordechai, if Mordechai is from Zerah Yehudim, from Jewish stock, that you started to fall in front of him, you will not be able to. You will fall, surely you will fall. Now, if we follow this simple Pshan the Pasuk, it seems a little perplexing. If, you better watch out, Haman, says his wise men, who the Gemara says from here, you see how wise they were. If this guy, Mordechai, is Jewish, oh, you're in big trouble. Now, with all due respect, hello, was anybody paying attention to the plot? I mean, this is Mordechai Yehudi, Sidney Sharmelech, Zereshishto and Chachamav were already involved in telling him the Eitzah how to kill him. What do you mean now? If he's Jewish, you're in big trouble. What? Good morning, weren't you paying attention? The Targum Shini says what actually is going on here is they were saying very wise words. If he's Jewish, which he is Nafotipal, why? Because this nation is compared to the offer, they're compared to the dust, they're compared to the stars. Rashi brings down the Gemara that the Kleistral and the Jewish the anti-Semites understood this. The Jewish nation are compared to the stars and compared to the dust. If they're not following the Ratzon Hashem, they're like the dust on the, on the beach. You can trample them. You can walk on them. They're nothing. However, if they're doing the Ratzon Hashem, they're like the stars in Shemayim. They're untouchable. Says Zeresh the Chachamav to Haman, don't you get it? Don't you understand? See, Haman was looking for solace. He was looking for consolation. Maybe there's some hope. Don't you get it? It turned around. Why do you think it was, instead of you riding on the horse, it was Mordechai? Why do you think it is that the king wants him to get the honor? It's turned around. The Kleisel has changed. That you started to fall. You will surely fall because the Kleisel has done tshuva. They're untouchable. And apparently... These people were very wise, because in olden days, even the anti-Semites understood this one thing. If the Kleinsel are doing the Ratzon Hashem, they're untouchable. No matter how much they hated the Kleinsel, no matter how much they wished against it, they recognized the inevitable, and they told them, you will fall, there is no hope for you. They're still speaking with him. The Sarisei HaMelech, he gave the servants of the king, come, Rashi says, what do you mean, Vayavilu? They came quickly, quickly, quickly to bring Haman al Mishta. She also saw Esther to the Mishta that Esther made. It came time for the party of Esther. Says the Vilna Gon, actually, there's another part of the Nase that happened over here. In midst conversation, as soon as Haman gets the point, I get it, it's turned around. The whole thing is undone. Minashamayim from heaven, they're going to nail me and not Mordechai. Right then, the officers of the king come in. Why, says the Groh? Because, so as not to allow him time to take down the eights. Remember, Mordechai is now the great, in great favor in the king's eyes. He prepared that eights. He prepared that 50 Amatol tree to kill Mordechai. He didn't get a chance to mention that to the king, but that's why last night he came to the king. The problem is that as long as that's standing, and as long as people knew about it, which they did, they're going to tell him that the man who's in great favor in the king's eyes now, Mordechai, 
I, Homer, prepared a, 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 a murder, a death for this man, the first thing he would try to do is take down the Ace. However, he couldn't because Vaivielo, they came quickly to get him out of there. Again, says a girl, all part of the Ace, because Hashem is now preparing the final retribution and the final uh, Yeshua, the final salvation of the Jewish people. For more information about Tiferes B'nai Torah and the Shmuz, or to listen to the Shmuz online, please visit us at www.theshmuz.com or call 1-866-613-TORAH.